I figured out how to kind of maneuver those things. I figured out where my strengths were, where my weaknesses are and where I needed help. And then that continued to help me catapult. And then in life, because of how many times I failed, I was never scared of failure. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. My name is Ron Duran Jr. and I will be your blacksmith as we explore the world of adversity and doing hard things. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Today's guest is Juliet Hahn. She grew up in Morristown, New Jersey, a quaint town just outside of Philadelphia. She now calls home New York City. She has three kids, two boxers, which are always important to add. She also hosts a podcast called Your Next Stop. She's a coach speaker and I think you're going to love the energy coming out of Juliet. This was a lot of fun to sit down and kind of pick her brain about a lot of things that both of us are passionate about. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Forge. We've got a little bit of gray skies out there here in the in the Boulder area. I think we have some spring rain coming a little bit later. So today's guest it's going to be, I think this is going to be a really fun discussion. So Juliet, I appreciate you taking time to be with me and our listeners today. Well, thank you for having me. I love, I mean, podcasting is a passion of mine, so I love being able to have conversations and meeting new people. So thank you for having me. You bet. And, and let's start with this idea that, you know, I did some research as I always do, and it seems like you have a fascinating background. And that's where I think, I really feel like we're going to have this fun conversation because I feel like people that have fascinating backgrounds in life, they have stories, they have experiences, and, and I, I think that's going to come out today. So let's start with that background. Juliet, you know, what's your journey? How did you get here today? As you sit here with me and, and all the things that you're doing, you know, to bring value to the world right now, how did you get here yeah, you know, so it's funny when you say I have a fascinating background. I don't think of it as fascinating. Like when you said that, I was like, huh, all right, okay, fascinating. But then when I think about it, it is different than the typical, you know, because I have had, you know, some some things happen. So I will start back. When I was in fourth grade, I realized that I didn't learn the same as my classmates. I came from a, a town that was pretty affluent and my friends were all really good at everything they did pretty much. I always say, you know, when, when, that's, when you're a kid and you think that everyone's always good at everything, you know, that they ha- everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. But I realized when the entire class went to, and it was all my best friends, I had a lot of friends, went to Gifted and Talented, and myself and a basically the troublemaker in the class went to (laughs) special reading. Now, my mom was in education. She worked in the district, so I knew if I, you know, misbehaved, I would have been in trouble. But sitting in class, I remember always looking around and being like, why does everyone seem like they know what the teacher just said? And I was always like, huh, that's interesting, but just kind of went on my business. Now we realized I am dyslexic. So my dad's dyslexic, my sister's dyslexic. I'm sure my grandparents' dyslexic. We have a a, a long history of learning disabilities. So I really believe that that is what kind of formed who I am and has gotten to me where I am in my life. And so storytelling, when you said that, storytelling is near and dear to my heart because when I was young, I realized when I communicated, when I talked, 
my teachers and adults and kids would stop and listen to me different than when I was doing work on a piece of paper. So if any, you know, if anything about dyslexia, what's in your mind does not get put down on a piece of paper. It just doesn't. I like, you know, use voice text for about everything. So very early on, I realized, okay, this is a strength of mine. When I talk, no one treats me that I'm different because they don't know that I'm actually struggling when it comes to the paper. So when I had to do a paper, it was like, oh, you're not trying hard enough or, oh, you're goofing off. And it never was that case. It just was, I just could not do that because that's just the way. Now I had a very supportive family, very supportive, you know, friends. I also was a very likable kid. So teachers wanted to help me. They didn't want to see that I was struggling. So I did have support in that way. But back then, you know, you didn't really know about dyslexia. It was like, okay, she learned different. Let's just try this. So as my career in school kept going, I also developed other strengths. Athletics was a huge one for me. So I, again, realized, okay, I'm really good at this. Let's see how I can take this off. So I did play two sports in college. I did end up going to college, which was a journey in itself. You know, I had my guidance counselor tell my, me, you know, one of our meetings, oh, if you don't get your grades up, you're not going to college. And she was doing it to kind of encourage me. But this is what I tell teachers, like that didn't encourage me. That actually made me feel stupid and made me feel like, you know, okay, I'm not going to. So, you know, it's, it's really important to me. My son, my oldest is dyslexic, an incredible athlete in himself as well. So whenever I have to go to meetings for him, I literally, you know, all my stuff comes out. <laughs> a lot of times I cry in the meeting, I get frustrated. I, you know, say to them like, let's work to the strengths because I don't think enough people, especially in education, work to the strengths. They always mm, work to the weaknesses. Like and I'll, I have a funny story there, but I'll, I'll go back to that after I finish my journey. So I did end up going to college and play two sports. And when I went in, I decided, okay, I'm going to major in corporate fitness because corporations, I was like, I'm good at communications. I'm really good at relationships. Fitness is what I'm good at. And I had to take anatomy and physiology. And probably after the first class, I realized, oh, I, this, I, I suck at science. So my dyslexia, it's really science and math is where I, I struggle. Yes, it's like spelling and those sort of things. I could always read, but it was the processing of understanding what I was reading unless I was read to. If I was read to, completely understood it. But I also did have to sort of see things in text. So that's what thing is so fascinating about the human mind. You know, my son, if you read to him, he totally, he can run with it and literally repeat it word for word. I wasn't, my dyslexia wasn't as good as his, I guess we could say. So I did end up switching my major because I tweaked my back at the same time. And so what I always say, and I, I really talk to people about is those kinds of situations in life, when you have like a big moment, or even if it's a small moment, but it makes you stop and think, there's a reason why that's happening. There's a reason I truly believe that everyone has a path, whether you believe in God or the universe, we all have a path, but we all sometimes just like those feelings, we just don't stop and think about them. So I did get that feeling after I tweaked my back and I was taking anatomy and physiology, like, do I really want this? Do I really want to go to corporate fitness? And I decided no. So I went into communications, radio, television, and film. And in that major, I took a class in advertising sales because everyone has to take that. And really quickly, I fell in love with that because it was the relationship part. Because when you struggle in school, I was not good in art. So I deemed myself not creative. I'm sure there was a teacher down the road that said, you're not creative, stick to what you're good at sports. So I never saw myself as creative. And so I went into the advertising sales part, moved to New York City, met my husband, three kids, 
decided to stay home with the children because that's something that I always wanted to do. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to do. And then pretty much after they started getting a little older, after volunteering and doing all those things, I wanted more. I wanted to kind of give back to the family. I also had aspirations because I am someone that doesn't really sit still and I was a bit tired of doing it. I went back actually into fitness, started teaching classes, and we moved the area that we were. And I had like this, again, an unsettled feeling of like, I want something more. And I decided I'm going to start a podcast because storytelling is what I love, is what I'm good at. I always am the person at the party or my friends, I tell stories that they're like, wait, I can't believe that happened to you. Or that's so weird. How did, you know, how did you maneuver that? So that's where I, you know, really started the storytelling, becoming a consultant, you know, talking at events. And it all started with a daydream that I had in my mind. And I created what, what, where I am now. That's kind of like the very short way of telling my story. Cause there's a lot of different <laughs> avenues in there. And how can you say that's not fascinating? <laughs> I mean, I guess when it happens to you, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, it's, you don't, you don't think about it. Cause I, you know, really grew up, uh, in a, I feel like a normal upbringing, sure, sure. but those kind of things, yes. If you are someone that's never struggled or dealt with those things, it is different. I, I think that's a good lesson. You know, I, I think the same thing. Sometimes people go, "Oh my gosh, Ron, look what you've done," and I and I I, I kind of look at it as it's nothing out of the ordinary. You know, it's just my life, and I just do it. And but but I think and I think this is this is going to go back to what you said. Sometimes we need to look back and say, okay, where have I come from? What have I done? And, and as I don't think it's just me and you, Juliet. I think everybody in their life, if they go back and examine their life, they go, wow, I have done some, some pretty cool things. And so some more than others, let's, let's be honest, but that's a good track record. So let's, there's two things that stood out to me in what you said. Number one, dyslexia. You know, this, this idea, I have this idea that you know, like ADHD, everybody goes, oh, ADHD is horrible and you got to take drugs. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, go into this. I, I, on I am ADHD what, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I say, do we have to make that a negative? There's so many successful people Positive. that have ADHD and they've turned that into like a superpower. And, yep. and I've heard a lot of successful people that have dyslexia that have done exactly the same. Or as you said, it kind of made you pivot into, okay, I have found my superpower and it's speaking, you know, and making connections with people and storytelling. And so that dislike without that dyslexia, maybe you wouldn't have found that, which, you know, and then that leads to the other thing I was going to say is you said, stop and think how many times in life do people not stop and think, you know, I'm so big on this idea of reflecting on why did that happen and what can I learn from it? And, you know, we hear this in your story of, you know, I don't call it a pivot, call it whatever, but maybe taking a different path because you had dyslexia and, and you had things happen to you that you noticed, you paid attention. Those are all fascinating to me. And, I, and so, you know, when I, when I talk to people that I'm going to put it in air quotes are successful, it's pretty fascinating to see how you respond to these things that come up and let's call them adversity, right? I'm really big on this idea of adversity. So you played two sports. That's pretty crazy all by itself because I did, I played a little college baseball and playing one sport's plenty when you're trying to, you know, go to school. So what, what were your two sports? I'm kind of curious. I, I played field hockey and lacrosse. Yeah. But so I do want to go back to what you said, because I think it's really important. And this is what, where, where people don't look at their strengths and weaknesses and they don't celebrate both of them. So Good. when you struggle, 
you you realize really quickly what your strengths and weaknesses are. When I, when I go back to the ADHD thing, I use homeopathy. I am diagnosed. I did take meds when I was in college and then realized I didn't need them because I could do other things. So I am huge on that because I were, again, I always say I have the good ADHD because when your child or you are diagnosed, they always talk about the, the negative parts. And there's a Dr. Ned Hallowell that wrote a book called Driven to Distraction. If any of you read that, that's what I read in college. And I was like, yes, I do have ADHD, but that's why I can do so much more things than the average person, because this is my superpower. I'm going to harness it and I'm going to run. Yes, it probably it got into my way in college. And I will say, I got on the dean's list in college. Not one time, not two times, not three times. So my dyslexia and my ADHD did not get in the way once I grew and realized how I learn and how I need to be taught and how I can ask questions to the teacher. When you're growing up and you struggle, a lot of times, every time you ask a question when you're little, right, the little kid that raises her hand and then a teacher says, well, that's a silly question. You start going, and, and that, I can't tell you how many times that happened to me. And my dad and my mom would always say, there's no silly questions. If it's a question, and don't let that teacher. So I had very supportive parents that would be like, that teacher is, you know, doesn't know what they're talking about or, or that. So finding out what your strengths and weaknesses are really can help you then achieve more because you say, okay, this is what I'm good at. So I, I just want to go back to that little story when I talked, when I go to my kid's school, when he was going to the IAP, that's where, where when you get classified, you go into these meetings. And I remember always being like, we're such normal people. People would look at us, never realize that we struggle in school. It's like an uncomfortable thing. You know, oh, here you are on the IAP. They see you're, oh, you struggle in this, you struggle in that. And then they meet you in person and they're like, oh, you don't seem like there's anything wrong. And you, you look at them, you're like, that's the most ignorant thing you could ever say. But okay, fine. Just because I don't look like I struggle doesn't mean. And you have to think about the person, not just the whole curriculum. So I would go in because my son in history and in English gets A's and B's, like solid. He's really good, but he's dyslexic. Science and math are where he struggles. And every time we would go in, the teachers would say, this is what we need to work on. We need to work on the science. We need to work on the math. And so I would say to them, okay, so here's an example. And my husband would always laugh because I would say, okay, you have the fastest kid in the world, right? He's the top sprinter in the country. But instead of having practice sprinting, you put him on the pole vault because he struggles in the pole vault. But you want him to get better at the pole vault, but he actually can win awards and medals because he's the fastest guy, but you don't do that. So why in school do you do the opposite? And they would always say, oh, and you would always get the one teacher that would give you a wink. Like, I totally know what you're saying. And that would be like, okay, Montgomery, because that's my son's name. Here's where you're strong. And that those teachers are ones that then have that person be like, okay, they see me as a person and not just because, you know, they're going through curriculum. And my mom was education. I truly, you know, have a very soft heart in education, but people need to be better because they need to look at those things. They need to look at the individual person. And so for me, I figured out how to kind of maneuver those things. I figured out where my strengths were, where my weaknesses are and where I needed help. And then that continued to help me catapult. And then in life, because of how many times I failed, I was never scared of failure. Well, that's a good lesson right there. You know, this idea that just knowing yourself, right? You know, it's nice if you have a teacher that is, that is that good, I'll be honest, uh, that, that sees, okay, here's the strengths that Juliet has and, and, and focuses on those and say, let's enhance those, let's make those a superpower. But in absence of that, I think we need to take that upon ourselves 
Yes. I think you would agree to say, okay, get to know yourself, spend a little time and, and get to know truly what are you good at. And then, you know, uh, focus on that, right? There's nothing worse than than trying to do something that you're just not really good at and it, feel, it makes you feel horrible. And then people tell you that you're not good at it and, and you feel even more horrible. So <laughs> it's it's this downward spiral, right? And and I also, I'm tuning into this idea and I know it's a cliche, but I'll say it anyway. Words Words have weight, right? Words hurt. And I think whether you're in education or you're a parent or, or anybody that is is maybe coaching or teaching, be careful with the words you say. I, I, I don't like it when people say that's a stupid question or that's a silly <sighs> question or or anything like that. That's why we, we have these young folks that are afraid to ask questions is because somebody's made them feel bad about asking that question and we need to get away from that. Yes. And I'm huge on the questions because I really truly believe we're all one question away from a different life. Oh. And you should ask as many questions, even as an adult. That's one thing I taught my kids from a very young age. And they were the ones that would ask me, hey, mommy, what's this? And I remember there'd be times where my daughter would be asking me like math questions when I was like trying to follow a map. And I would have to remind myself, you taught her to do this because you want her to ask questions and I'm terrible at math. So I'd be like, honey, I think this is a question for dad or let's Google it or, you know, and so that, that I, I want people because that you taking your own life into your own hands when you ask questions, because questions are what makes you learn, but they also make you get into another relationship with someone else. When you ask a question to someone else, sometimes their answer is going to connect you even deeper to them. Yeah, I'm laughing because you know I don't have kids, but I always I always laugh or maybe cringe when when I see parents. You know, mommy, why is the sky blue? Mommy, why are there clouds? Mommy, why is this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that would make me crazy. But here's the thing: when we're when we're young, almost all of us do this, right? We're we're inquisitive, we're curious, yes, curious. We ask all these questions. Then as we get older, what happens? We stop asking those questions. And it goes back to, I think what I just said is we start to feel like those, you know, I'm stupid if I'm asking a question that, you know, maybe everybody else knows. And so, so we lose that curiosity as we, as we become adults, I teach leadership and I always say that leaders do not have to have all the answers. Good leaders ask good questions. And so I'm, I'm, I just, I kind of lit up when you said that. I I saw that. (laughs) I feel like that's at the heart. Be curious. That's the heart of, of living a good life. Be curious, reflect on what you're, you're learning and, and the answers you get. And I also agree with you. How many times do we ask people a question when they say, you know what, don't bother me. Most people love to be asked a question because you're, you're tapping into something that they, they maybe have some wisdom, some knowledge that you don't makes them feel good. So we can look at it that way too, is. We are, as you said, building a relationship when we ask people questions and, and don't be afraid. I love this. Let's, let's turn to this. You know, your website tagline says, live a passion-focused life. What does that mean to you? I mean, you know, passion can mean a lot of things, but what does it mean to you? And why is that something that you have as, as a tagline on your website? So it, to me, it is the saddest thing when you talk to someone that just gets up and they're just living. They might not be unhappy. They might not be, you know, miserable people, but they're just not driven by anything and they're going through the motions. To me, and I say it's like my biggest fear, but there's probably a lot of other big fears. But one of the things is to like 
not be excited about getting up and doing something. And so I always, you know, even when my kids were little, I would always create things, you know, and this is where like my storytelling, I would create stories because that to me would get me excited. Just like when you lit up with the question thing, if someone just goes to a job because they're like, okay, that's the paycheck and I have to, you know, I have to do this, but they really aren't living. We all have one life. Why don't you want to live with something that's passionate? And a lot of times that passion can be churned into a business, but you don't realize it. And so, and it is so important because again, I truly believe that, and I believe in God, that God has a path for all of us. Now I'm 48 years old and I am in the path that I am meant to be in at this moment. When I had children, that was the path I was meant to be in that moment because what I learned from my kids and all the different avenues that I've been in when I was, you know, teaching fitness classes, when I was in advertising, they are all leading me to the spot that I am right now. Mm. And it's because I am curious. I am a curious human, but I also create that space where I can daydream, whether you, where you call it uh, meditation or daydreaming. I call it daydreaming. I love daydreaming, but I do it when I am walking my dogs. It's not that I'm sitting on a yoga mat and like, you know, creating, but I walk my dogs and I literally think of things in my mind. It's like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Oh, wouldn't that be fun? And that's what I did with the business that I have right now. I literally created it in my mind because storytelling and talking to people and asking curious questions and, and podcasting is a passion of mine. But it's also because it is what I am meant to do. So I really want your listeners to sit there and think to themselves, okay, you know what? I am not passionate. I, I'm not doing anything that makes me passionate. And think, okay, what is something that is that lights me up? Because people will say, well, I have all these passions. I have a ton of passions too. You know, I mean, dogs, education, there's so many things that I'm passionate about. However, I could talk about asking questions, curiosity, interviewing, podcasting all day long, and I can get excited about it. So I, I will say to your listeners, like if you're in the grocery line and someone asks you a question, and it could be like about how food is growing. I mean, it could be the silliest thing that you think of, but it gets you excited. That excitement is going to then wear off on someone else and you're going to help someone else. And you can actually create a business out of that. So if you're sitting in that job and you're like a miserable human, think, sit down, create that space to daydream. And a lot of people don't allow themselves to do that because of fear. They're scared. Well, you know, who am I to write a book or who am I to start a podcast or who am I to start a blog? Who am I to create a project, you know, a, a product? You are someone you were created, whether again, it's the universe or God you believe in, you were created for a purpose and you're not living out your purpose. Mm, that was a yes. very long, long way. No, of- <laughs> but that's, that resonates with me so much. And sometimes I'll hear, you know, and, and I went down this road. Let's, let's say, I, you know, I, I haven't, I don't know what the word is. I haven't always been enlightened. And so I was in a job, in a career for a long time where I, I kind of had this, this inner dialogue of work is not supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be, yep. uh, this is not supposed to be my passion. It's just how I pay the bills and this is what we do. And we do this till we retire and then we die. Right. And how many people out there, how many people listening right so now many. are in this, I don't know, I call it the bad autopilot, right? Where they're just not, they're not picking their head up and they're not paying attention to this idea that I think you're advancing that we can 
not only pay the bills, but also follow our passion. I, I think that's what I'm hearing from you, right? Oh, hundred percent. And it's, and it's simple, but people don't realize there's like online courses. There's so many different things. Yeah. You can teach a zoom class. There's so many things that you could do. And this is where I want people to, cause they'll be like, well, how do I even start? What if someone is not interested? It's really a good idea to start asking those questions, right? Hey, I'm going to put a zoom class out about this. Does anyone want to join me? See what kind of response you get. Now, if you're someone that lives in an area or you, you surround yourself with negative people, you're going to get those people that are like, that's so dumb. What are you doing? You need to get away from that sure, because that's sure. the other thing. But I love what you said because so many people get in that situation, you know, where they're like, oh, I'm paying the bills. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I always say, you're not a tree. Like you don't need to stay there. Why not? <laughs> Find something that you're excited about. Why not help and, and change other people's lives with what you are doing? And it could be something so simple that you just don't, or you're not even thinking about because you're not allowing yourself to daydream. You're not allowing yourself to create in your mind because you're scared. And, you know, you know, we all have that. Again, I think I am like a failure to me is when I fail something, I'm like, okay, there's something good happening. Like something's good. Cause my next thing is going to be even better. Cause now I know, okay, that didn't work. Let me try something else. I know from my background, because of how many times I failed as a child and in college that it, it kind of set me up for being able to be kind of resilient to that. Yeah. And, and I, I want to go back to what you said earlier is who am I, you know, you said something along the lines of people have this inner dialogue. Who am I to do this? Right. I know. I, I don't even. Ha- I don't even know you well, Juliet. But I know that you're gonna. You're gonna know what I'm saying when I say this. And I want everybody to listen. The first time I did everything, whether it was a podcast, whether it was writing a chapter for a book, whether I'm about to do my first TED talk, they all scared the living daylights out of me. And I was like, I've never done this before. Who am I to do this? You got to get past that. And you are a person to do this. And I think you hit it right on the head is, is we need to move past that fear of saying, don't let that inner dialogue stop you in your tracks. And I'm here to tell you it's powerful. I think you would agree, Juliet. I mean, that, that inner dialogue can sometimes paralyze us. And I think it did for a lot of my life, but I've learned to, to kind of move into that. And that's changed my life. And can I ask you a question? Yeah. So when you were doing those things like, yes, the fear, and it's a lot of times it's a fear of the unknown right? What can happen? What's sure. going to happen here? So it's, it's a feel of uh, fear of failure, but also of, okay, I don't know what this is going to happen. So when you have done those things and congratulations about the Ted talk, that's amazing. When those things have happened and you're in them, is that like when the magic happens and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, this is not even work. Like it's not even work because this is what I'm meant to do. Like I'm not even nervous now. I was nervous before, but when you're in the moment, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, like incredible that I'm not even nervous anymore because it just goes because it's the flow. It's what you were supposed to do. Yeah. You know, to answer that question, I would say it's not like for me personally, it's not like flipping a switch. I, I feel like it's a little bit of a gradual process. You have a lot of fear and a lot of resistance at the beginning. And I think the more you kind of, you know, again, to use a cliche, the more you lean into it, the more you kind of embrace that, the, the more it starts to go away. And then you will at some point break through and you go, okay, uh, this is my passion, right? You, right. You, you just tap in and go, okay, this is hard and yeah. all those good things. But you also say, man, 
I can't wait to to do what I'm doing. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. But but again, I don't know that it's a it's a hard line where I'm just like, okay, boom, you know, I get past the fear, and all of a sudden, it's great. I think for me, it's a little bit gradual. As I get prepared again for my first TED talk, it, at the beginning, it was almost paralyzing. And I just kept working with it and working with it. And it's getting better and better every day. So that's, that's what I would offer. No, I love that. And, you know, let let me also go back to (laughs) this idea of passion. Cause I, this is, as you can tell, this is something that excites me. And and I, sometimes I share this with my students and people say, well, I have a passion for this or this or that. And they go, but I can't make any money at it. And I go, are you sure? This is the example I like to use. Andy Pudukambi. Any You know who Andy Pudukambi is, Julia? I don't, but I've heard the name. Okay. He is the founder of Headspace. This is a meditation app. He's done a TED Talk, a wonderful TED Talk I would, I would highly recommend. He, you know, he, he has a background of he went and studied, I think, in the Himalayas at a monastery and, you know, studied Buddhism and all this stuff. Do you think when he was studying Buddhism in this monastery that he said, one day I'm going to make, and I would venture to guess he's a multimillionaire. <laughs> Do you think he was sitting up there going, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my millions with a, a, an app for meditation? Right. No, that was his passion, and he found a way yes. to tap into, he found out that there's other people that, that value this and something that he could provide to the world. And so I'd say to everybody out there that says, I can't make any money at that. I go, don't be so quick to um, abandon that because you might find your tribe, you know, those people out there that say, you know what, I- I'm buying what you're selling. So I just want to throw that out there. All right. So, Juliet, you know, you've already talked about it. You have your own podcast. I'm looking for the name of your next stop. It's called Your Next Stop, and it focuses on women who have followed their passion, which, you know, it might sound a little funny, but this is, this is another topic that's near and dear to me of not only women in leadership, but, but kind of the obstacles that women face that really they shouldn't be having to face, but that's kind of the way the world works. But so what do you learn? I mean, you say you love having conversations. Do you love the podcast? You love asking questions. You're curious. What have you learned from being a podcast host? Is there a theme that you see with all these women? You know, so I have to say, so when I first started the podcast, it was mainly women that I was interviewing because I was following a passion and turning into a business. And so I was having people, mainly women and moms, because that's like the, you know, where I was like, okay, I stayed home. Now what's my next chapter? So I wanted to speak to that audience. I wanted to speak to that mom that was sitting there in the laundry, like, oh my gosh, I really want to create this, but who am I? Like, who are you? You are someone that could create this and change a million people's lives. Like, why not be that person? So I do interview men and women because I have two sons and a husband and I do want, because there's a lot of, you know, husbands that are there that make a lot of money, but hate their jobs and hate their life, but they have a lot of money, but like, so why? Right. And so I do tap into all of that. So I have learned so many, and this is what I, I mean, this like makes me want to scream from the rooftops. And again, it's that feeling that we, we just like, we touched on it before you're in a job, you wake up and you get a gut check, but you ignore it and you stuff it. Cause you're like, this is what I, this is what I have to be doing. You go on, you ignore it and you stuff it, you ignore it and you stuff it. Sometimes, I mean, I had a guest that actually physically got sick and had to be hospitalized because she was stuffing her stress so much, but she was not meant to be doing what she was doing. And again, whether it's God or the universe kept sending her signs, you're not in the right spot. You need to be doing this. 
And she kept ignoring it. So he finally was like, okay, well, now I need to do something big. You're going into the hospital, right? You're going to the hospital. <laughs> so you can understand. So that is the theme of every single one of my talks, pretty much, is they were on a path that they were not happy with. Mm. They were not fulfilled. They weren't following a passion. And they stopped. A lot of them, it's usually entrepreneurs, but I have interviewed, you know, interviewed people that are actually in marketing that love their jobs and work for corporations. But usually it's the person that was in that corporate rat race for many years, whether they got fired at the top and they were like, what, what in the world? And then they, you know, got into like, oh, I'm going to write a book. And then it just became, now they became an entrepreneur or it's someone that literally stopped what they were doing and completely went into the entrepreneurial world because they were like, I can't stuff these emotions anymore because all these different, these different signs, these different things that came, you know, forth and, they ignored it, ignored it, and then finally were like, okay, I got I to gotta follow it, which is a theme, and I just love that so much. Yeah, gosh. And so I've heard some similar stories on my podcast. I've, I've actually had one guest that he feels like that actually created leukemia in him, and he almost died in his 30s, and he felt like that was the reason. You know, he can't, you know guarantee that that was a the direct connection. But but yes, it can manifest itself in health problems, right? <laughs> I always like to say, I was laughing when you said this, because I, I like to say that if you don't pay attention, your body will get your attention. And oh, totally. Sometimes it's, it's in a bad way. Sometimes you might end up in the hospital. So we're misaligned, right? We're not mis, we're, we're misaligned with what we are. Again, we keep going back to this idea of passion. Why are we here? What are we, what are we on this earth for? And I guess just don't ignore that, right? That's kind of well, what I'm hearing is is pay attention to those signs. Yes, and this is what I tell like, you know, my listeners all the time. If you have that feeling but like again, fear whatever you're holding back, just write it down and you don't have to like for me writing down because I'm dyslexic. I hate writing things down. So I go to my notes and I voice text, right? So I will have a running log of like little gut feelings I have or little ideas I have. And that's why I think it's so important to create that space to daydream because when you daydream and you get those feelings or you're like, oh, wait, that I just saw that like three or four or five times. Like someone yeah. said to me, hey, you should write a book about that. Hey, you should write a book about that. Hey, you should write a book about that. Keep track keep track of those things. Or someone says, you're really good at that. Have you ever thought of this? You know, you're really good at that. Have you ever thought of why? Take those notes and just put them in your notes and put them to the side because they will, you'll be able to go back to them and be like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Because again, just because you're on the wrong path or you're not happy in your life, you're learning things that are going to then, if you do truly listen and follow what is, you know, what's happening around you could put you into that. So again, just because I was in advertising doesn't mean that that was the wrong path. Just because I chose to stay home with my children doesn't mean that I put myself, you know, out of the game because it just was things that I learned in those two things that helped me catapult myself into where I am. One of them with my children was storytelling. I used to tell them the craziest stories now remember, I did not think I was I did not think I was a creative person because I was, you know, told at some point. I literally had these, and I can't believe I didn't write them down, but I'm not someone that goes back and regrets things. But I literally had these series that my kids would sit down with their big meatball eyes. Mommy, tell me about, you know, the frog that was in the magic lake. And I would have people come up to us, whether it was on the train, whether it was somewhere, oh, where'd you, that's a cool story. Where'd you read that? You know, where, where can I find it? I'm like, oh no, I just made it up in my brain. They're like, just right there. You made that up in your brain. And I would say, <laughs> oh yeah, I can make up, I, I can make up 
stories that will hold attentions. People always say you need to write. I mean, a time and you time need to again, write a children's book. I think I know. Well, that's I've heard that three or four, four or five times. I have that in my notes because I'm like, okay, that might be a path that I am supposed to do. It's just not right now. You know, I think you'd agree with this, but but let me let me pick your brain on this. You know, this podcast is about doing hard things, and it's about mental toughness and resilience and grit and all that. And so, just because it's hard doesn't mean that we need to maybe change course or or do something different. You would agree with that, right? A hundred percent. Yes. You know, you could be at the just this job that's sucking the life out of you, and and that's a different discussion than maybe you're following your passion. But here's the thing: when you follow your passion, it's not always bliss, right? <laughs> no. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it even sucks. But you know, again, you're following your passion, so it's a different discussion, and we need to stick with it. So I, I just want to be very clear with with the listeners: just because it gets hard, that doesn't necessarily mean that we go, okay, now I got to do something different. Because I think no. there's a lot of that in society right now. No, you have, you have to be consistent and I have, you have to give yourself a timetable. Like when I started the podcast, even though it was a passion project, I said to myself, there's a non-negotiable, I'm going to do this for a year. At that year, I will look back and say, okay, okay, am I still meant to do this? Or was that just a little chapter that I'm supposed to learn something from it? So that's a really important thing because you, you don't want to, you need to be consistent. And that's the other thing. You have to be consistent and do it day in and day out, but create a schedule. So like I would have, I have a schedule for myself and I did it at that, you know, that's what I did. But the thing is, I mean, being an entrepreneur, as you know, like there it's, it's funny or like starting a podcast or starting something. I mean, one thing, and I think your listeners can kind of get a sense of my personality. I have a big personality, but I also have like big emotions. So when I'm happy, I'm really happy. When I'm sad, I'm really sad. When I'm angry, I'm really angry. So as an entrepreneur, I'll have days, sometimes hours. Like, well, I will run downstairs and be like, yes, I just did this X, Y, and Z. And then literally 25 minutes later, it's the worst day. This just happened. (laughs) I mean, that happens to us and it is a normal thing. And so that is like, it is hard work. It is hard mentally, but I so enjoy it. I, I I don't mind that's ups and downs. I am actually someone that doesn't mind. And this could be my dyslexia, my attention deficit. I don't mind the unknown. I am okay with the unknown. I actually, and, and most people I talk to, they're like, oh my God, I'm like petrified of the unknown. And I'm like, no, I kind of like, Ooh, this is fun. It's like an adventure. So I don't mind that. And I think that's just the way God built me obviously, but that can be at times a little unsettling. Yeah, I feel like we're you're speaking my language. You know, I, I do have those emotional swings as as well, and I used to really kind of level those out, and now I just go with them. I go, hey, that's who I am, and, and it, it can be good and bad, right? The downs can be be pretty da- bad, and, but the goods. I mean, I also feel like, and I think you would agree that when you have those ups, when you have the people tap into that and they see that in you, and that can be a great thing. So. I ride those waves. That's what that's kind of the way I've looked at it as as something that again, this is this is on that theme of quit trying to make yourself into somebody else. Totally. Be, be who you are and and embrace the goods and the bads and bring, you know, enhance those things that you're good at. I want to be respectful of your time. I, I, I feel like I could do this podcast for about <laughs> two more hours. This is fun. I love your energy. But let's uh, let's start to wrap this up and and We'll do that by starting with what's going on, Juliet? What's what's exciting for you right now? And how can people work with you? That sort of thing. Yes, of course. So anyone can find me at my website is I am Juliet Han, and that's I-A-M-J-U-L-I-E-T-H-A-H-N. So I do consult, I do consult with people helping them 
find their creative passion. I have a workshop that I do. It's a self-paced workshop. Um, it is, it, 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 it really kind of makes you think. You kind of do some some work. I talk about my structure, what I do during the day and those kind of things. But I am, you can find me on podcasting. I'm on every RSS feed, but I also do live shows. So my live shows, I record probably, or I'd go live once a week and it's through an app called Fireside, which is Mark Cuban and Fallon team's new app. It is still in beta. It's growing, but it is so fun. And I just did my live events at the Super Bowl. So that's one of my segments and I'll keep this short, but it's really cool. You can go check it out. So one of, when I was interviewing people, one of the women that I interviewed was this woman, Cynthia Zordich and her husband, Michael was in the league for 12 years. And I started asking her questions because I'm curious and she started talking about being a, you know, professional athlete's wife. And I started thinking, oh wait, like if you have passions and then your husband gets traded, what does that do? And so then I really was like, I need, I need to dive into this. So I created a live show with Cynthia as my co-host and we interview on, on Fireside, other NFL spouses. We've had Holly Robinson Pete on, we've had some, you know, big names and during the Super Bowl, which no one knows, the week before, there's two events. So Cynthia with NFL Thread, which is like the LinkedIn for women, they have a networking luncheon and it keeps everyone together. So it's like a sisterhood. They keep everyone together. You leave the league, let's stay. You have a business, let's all support each other. And then on Friday, right before the Super Bowl, which has been going on for 21 years, they have a that they picked that is the city of, you know, wherever they are. So this year it was in LA. Holly Robinson Pete was the, the foundation. It's called Holly Rod. It supports autism and Parkinson's. I was fortunate enough because I started this segment to go live at those two events. So I hired an agency. My podcast was live. I got to interview Whoa. people. I got to interview the women being like, why are you here? So many of them weren't even going to the game. They are just there to the network and then support this charity, which again, has been around for 21 years. It's called Off the Field Wives Association, which is their 5013C. So the NFL does so many things behind the scenes that people don't know. And I wanted to give a voice to it, So, which is very cool. That's where I am. We're continuing. We're doing a draft. We also have some luncheons that are happening that people can get involved, like swag bags. They can get involved in these things. And that's just kind of following me on my socials and seeing where I am. But my thing is just, have, you know, just be better than you are today. Really just think about yourself. Think about what your strengths and weaknesses are and where you can actually, you know, go out and kind of spread your voice and spread your love. And, and that's kind of all about me. So that was, again, long and I apologize about that. No apologies. I love that energy. And it uh, sounds exciting for you, uh, you know, to reach more people. A lot of times that's that's what it's all about. And how can you get get that word out and, and hopefully impact lives, right? I think you would agree with that. Yep. And I will be doing some keynote speaking too in, in the near future. So just kind of keep, you know, Excellent. again, if they follow me, they'll find out where I am. And as always, that will be in the show notes uh, for anybody that wants to check that out. And so let's, uh, Juliet, let's go to the last question. This is always a tough one. My listeners are probably getting tired of hearing me say that, but it is a tough one, right? I always think how I would answer this question, but what is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? So I have to say, and I think, you know, when we talked before, I've had so many failures. I mean, I really have had so many failures. One of them was before I even started business. So I'm going to give you two failures. But when I was in going to look for colleges, I was being highly recruited by some really big schools and I could not get my SAT scores up. 
because I'm a terrible test taker because of my dyslexia. So I could not actually go into division one because my SATs never got to that, that point. To me at that time, that was a huge failure. I was one, like one question away. However, I ended up going to a division three school, playing the two sports, changing my major. So all of that kind of was my path. But at the time as a you know, 17 year old girl, not being able to get her SATs up, I took them like 30 times. That was crushing because I was getting, you know, I had scholarships out there. I had really big schools looking at me. And so at that time, that was a huge failure. But now I look back on it and I know that that was part of my path. That was part of where I was supposed to be. If I didn't go to the Division three school and get the academic support that I needed, I probably would never have gotten on the dean's list. I would never have found radio, television, and film and the communication part of it, which you know really just catapulted me into my whole storytelling. I would never have moved to New York City and met my husband. So that was one of my biggest failures, I believe. With my business is I take everything, obviously you can hear from my energy. I get an idea and I run with it. So with the podcast, I was like, I have to get a website. I have to do this. And I always kind of do everything a little bit backwards, but I, you know, started the podcast first. I had to get that website. And I spent so much money on ha- having someone cre- uh, create my website, which when they go to my website now, it's a completely different website. The website that I put all the money into, we actually changed it. Cause now I do online courses and I, So I changed to Kajabi, which is a great platform. But the thing that I learned is I maybe just needed to take a step back. I needed to take a breath and just kind of create things first and then put the website out if if I needed it. A lot of times when you start a podcast, you really don't need a website because you do have the RSS feed. But I had in my mind, you have to do that. So I put a lot of money into something I didn't really truly need to do. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.